the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Tonight, we're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. And we're going to get an update as to what in the world is going on with COVID that is still uh, out here and uh, causing us issues. Uh, Kevin, thank you for joining us as always. Certainly, Nick. Thank you. It's uh, good to be with you again. I know. That, again, I always say this. Uh, we've been doing this for over a year and a half. Uh, this uh, COVID pandemic is still with us, and uh, the COVID-19 and its variants show to me, a layman, no real signs of going away soon. From the Cuyahoga County Board of Health standpoint, and, and Kevin, by the way, is the spokesperson for the Board of Health, uh, how, how does it look as far as the prognosis for COVID-19 and its variants. Any, any end of it in the, the near future? Well, Nick, um, the last time we spoke, I believe it was August, and we did have a little bit of a brighter outlook at that point. Uh, in July, uh, numbers were going down and case counts were going down and, um, you know, transmission was, was somewhat limited. So we were looking at a much brighter picture than, unfortunately, we are here just a couple months later. Um, to give you an idea, uh, we, I have access to a letter that was sent to Governor DeWine's office from the Ohio Hospital Association, and unfortunately, there is quite a bit of bad news in there. Um, to give you a contrast, though, in terms of, of my statement about how things have changed quickly, uh, in mid-July, Ohio hospitals were treating about an average of 200 COVID-19 inpatients. Today, that number is 3,702, uh, which represents a 16-fold increase in two months. Uh, and at that point, one out of 100 hospital patients were being treated for COVID-19, and now that ratio is one out of six. Uh, so that gives you a very clear indication of what's happening at the hospital level. Uh, what we're seeing here at the Board of Health is, is very much the same thing. Um, our vaccination rate here in Cuyahoga County in terms of people who have completed both doses of the vaccine is about 54% or so. Um, that number is much lower in other portions of the state. Uh, <clears throat> we do know in Delaware County right now, they are the leader uh, among states or among counties within the state at 67%. So we have a range um, that goes all the way from the low 30s up to that 67 percentile statewide. Here locally in Cuyahoga County, our numbers are as low as 28, 29 percent in some communities, up to over 80 percent. So there really is just a wide range of acceptance and uptake for the vaccine. Uh, but unfortunately, as the virus continues to mutate among those who are unvaccinated, we are seeing these, these numbers uh, unfortunately increase very rapidly lately. Well, as long as the virus is out there and mutating, because there's a population that remains vulnerable, we can continue to see mutations. I assume. From what I heard, there are a number of mutations uh, 
not just the ones we hear about in the newspapers, but the mutations that are coming and going because uh, some of the mutations, the virus is very successful at sustaining and others they're not. Uh, and the longer we have COVID-19 out there changing its, uh, its flavor, if you will, uh, sooner or later it's going to get something that is going to defeat the vaccine. Is that what you're hearing? Uh, that is the fear of our clinicians. Uh, you know, so I, I just want to review this for your listeners, if you'll indulge me for a second. Uh, oh, in sure, terms please. Of vaccines, in terms of vaccines, we want to make people understand that, you know, vaccines are not an ironclad guarantee that you're not going to get the illness. We get a lot of calls to our agency here saying, I've been vaccinated and other people I know have been vaccinated, and now we're seeing people test positive. How does that happen? Um, what happens is, the virus, you know, continues to mutate among populations who are unvaccinated. So this is why we've moved from the original strain, uh, you know, through the Delta strain. And then, as you mentioned, there are other ones that, you know, aren't as widely publicized. Uh, the Delta strain, I believe, is in the, the 90 percentile of the cases that are being seen here in Ohio uh, and across the nation, especially among the hospitalized. So, you know, much like with the flu vaccine, if you get the flu vaccine, uh, and you still get the flu, what will happen is your symptoms will be much milder, you likely won't be hospitalized, and you likely won't pass away from flu complications. Same thing with COVID. So, you know, the problem is with with uh, getting into the idea of boosters now is that the strains for which we were vaccinated against early on, as you mentioned, are the strains are very different now. <clears throat> the variants are different. So what protected us originally in our original vaccine series, for those of us who got vaccinated earlier in, in 2021, as time moves on and the virus continues to mutate among those who are unvaccinated, then we face the possibility of you know not being protected against these future strains. So this is why we at the Board of Health and the CDC and, and Ohio Department of Health are really urging people to get vaccinated uh, because it provides you the optimum level of protection. Um, and even if you, you contracted COVID vaccine or COVID-19 rather earlier in the year, like say you had it at the end of 2019 or 2020 and you have antibodies, those antibodies will fortify your, your immune system for a while, but they're not lasting, you know, uh, in, in a, uh, an infinite capacity. So what that means is as the strains continue to mutate, your antibodies will not protect you against these future strains. So even if you have had COVID and you feel that you're protected due to antibodies, we would certainly urge you to get vaccinated if you haven't been because of the mutations of the virus. So, And this is a very fundamental thing. Flu, COVID, all different kinds of communicable diseases, the viruses will continue to mutate if we don't all reach what we've, what we've heard, you know, referred to many times over the past year and a half as herd immunity. If we all can get vaccinated and we can all kind of beat down the virus so it doesn't continue to mutate, then we can really control it. But right now, unfortunately, we have such a divided population in terms of those being vaccinated. Herd immunity is not achievable at this point. You just mentioned a, an important word, divided. Uh, and we have the people who have gotten their vaccination. I think at this point, anyone who is inclined to be vaccinated has been. Uh, the remainder of the population and just speaking for Cuyahoga County that has not been vaccinated, uh, it seems to be an individual choice people are making to not get it or to delay getting it. And yet we have several categories of people who are not getting the vaccine. Um, for example, there are some people I would think that 
due to medical reasons, may not be a candidate for the vaccine or for any vaccines. I'm not sure what percentage or how many of those people exist. But uh, another group are people who believe that the they just don't trust what they're hearing from the government. Seems to be a, a, a common explanation I hear as to why people are not getting vaccinated. Is the Board of Health and the State Board of Health, uh, how do they approach reestablishing the uh, the trust and faith in the government and in the medical science to let them know that this vaccine is safer than risking getting the virus? Well, I think at this point, Nick, unfortunately, it's a very much an evidence-based approach. And what I mean by that is as people continue to become ill and as more people know people uh, within their circles who get sick and people unfortunately pass away, um, you know, this is this is what we've seen um, in terms of some of the people coming to our community-based clinics and saying, you know, I didn't believe in it, but then my neighbor got it and my neighbor was in the hospital uh, for, for, you know, a long period of time or my neighbor ended up on a ventilator or my cousin ended up passing away, whatever the case is. This is really, unfortunately, what we're seeing moving people towards, you know, becoming vaccinated who were, as you say, on the fence or hesitant to begin with. The unfortunate thing that we're seeing now is, you know, the, the situation with children. Uh, we know that, you know, yeah, tell us about that. Older, yeah, certainly. You know, we know that kids 12 and older, you know, are eligible to be vaccinated. Um, but at this point, you know, the vaccine for those in the five year old to 11 year old range is still pending for good reason, because they're still running clinical trials and they want to gather as much data as they can to make sure that the vaccine is safe, uh, you know, if it's in the present form or it needs to be a modified form for children of that age. But unfortunately, what we're seeing across the country uh, is that children are, are being used largely as political collateral. You know, uh, we're sending kids to school in, in some counties in Ohio and, and certainly across the nation. And, and, you know, some states are well noted for their, um, you know, uh, defiance in terms of instituting mask mandates. And we're seeing children become ill. Um, you know, pediatric cases, um, I can tell you, going back to that letter from the Ohio Hospital, 20th, pediatric cases admitted to hospitals in Ohio has increased 12-fold. And the number of COVID patients in the ICU departments in children's hospitals, it's more than tripled since our worst uh, point uh, last winter. So, you know, this is very, very strong evidence that um, children need the vaccine and that in the absence of the vaccine, as you and I have talked about many times before, non-pharmaceutical interventions, which include social distancing, hand washing, mask wearing, those things are critical. And it's very unfortunate to see politicians and other people use children as a divisive, uh, you know, tool to make their statement while these children, be, you know, continue to become ill. So, you know, we know that the numbers from these hospitals are valid. Um, but to, to answer your question, again, to sum it up, I think it's, you know, people see things with their own eyes and then that instills some fear in them or increases their knowledge. And now those people are moving towards vaccination. But it seems like some people just aren't going to get there, as you noted. Well, I'm, I'm thinking as we're, we're talking tonight that those are the people we're talking to trying to identify what are the causes for them to be resistant to getting uh, the vaccine? And, and 
how are they evaluating their risk and their benefits with regard to being a vaccinated person or being an unvaccinated person? We're going to take a short break. Kevin, if you can hold on to your answer to that question until after the break. We're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, uh, our regular guest since the pandemic began, giving us an update on what's going on with COVID-19 here in Cuyahoga County. So we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. The Advocate, don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And tonight we're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health about COVID-19 and where are we here at the end of September, early October of 2021. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, Nick. Thank you again for having me. Oh, my my pleasure. During the last break, at the end of the last break, the last segment, we were talking about the fact that who is our audience for our our discussion tonight. And I'm, I'm thinking that the people we really want to talk to are the people who are resistant to vaccines because of fear of the vaccine being stronger than the fear of, of getting the virus. Uh, I would think that the Board of Health is getting inquiries from people in the county, uh, residents, sort of voicing their concerns about being vaccinated or not. At the county level, what are you hearing as the reasons why people choose consciously to not get vaccinated and risk getting COVID? What what are they asking about? Well, some of the more prominent statements that we're hearing from people are uh, that the the long-term potential effects of the vaccine have not been studied, meaning that, you know, we should be administering the vaccine in a clinical setting for several years and doing more um, background work, you know, and not trusting it because it was rushed out, right? Uh, People feel that, um, you know, they don't trust the process that, you know, clinicians and scientists and researchers from across the entire world, you know, gathered their resources and did all they could to come up with the vaccines to address, you know, an emergency situation like unlike we have seen, I think, in our generation. Uh, so they, they're distrustful of the fact that, that that came together so quickly when juxtaposed with typical um, rollout of medicines and vaccines in a non-pandemic situation. So that's one thing. Um, other people tell us they don't trust vaccines. I don't get the flu shot. I'm not going to get the COVID shot. But what we, what we failed to realize uh, or, or what maybe is, is sort of brushed under the, the rug here is that so many people have received vaccines as children, right? I mean, to when you're a baby, right, you, you get vaccines. When you enter school, you get vaccines. Some people need vaccines to complete their, their required series of vaccines for work purposes. Um, you know, and what we often hear is, well, my parents made me do it and I didn't have a choice. But then we counter that with, well, you didn't get polio. You didn't get mumps. You didn't get measles. You didn't get rubella, right? You would have those illnesses if we weren't all on board with these vaccines. But that doesn't seem to really be a way to counter it either. Um, I think as and some other things that we've heard is, you know, there's worries about infertility, uh, which have been also disproven at the medical level, um, or that there are tracking devices within the vaccine. So the government's, you know, finding out where we are, 
and, and they're using this as a, as a method or people are just using this to make money. It's all about the insurance companies to make money. So, you know, people are, are coming up with a lot of reasons. Um, but I think, as you and I have discussed before, I know at least a few times, is it's very difficult to counter fear with logic. So we can talk about science, we can talk about logic, we can talk about past history, um, but if people are scared of getting the vaccine for whatever reason that may be, it's extremely hard to overcome. And that's why what I alluded to in the previous segment is once they see evidence of someone that they know within their circle, whether that be their friends or their family, really suffering uh, with COVID-19, that often seems to be the trigger that moves some people. And, and again, some people it doesn't. I mean, we, you know, we, we see it on social media very often of people who are very vocal, whether it is on social media or on TV or on radio, who are very anti-vaccine, anti-COVID. And some of these people have passed away, um, you know, and, and, and it's extremely unfortunate because it's a vaccine preventable disease right now in terms of our eyes and public health. And it's just very troubling to watch people suffer unnecessarily. Have you talked to any people who believe that they have a constitutional right not to have the vaccine and they have that constitutional right to make their own choice but still are able to evaluate reasonably the pros and cons and the risk management of the situation and decide to enjoy their rights to say no but nonetheless go forward and get the vaccine. Do you have well, many people we, who take that position? Because that seems to solve the political problem. It does. I'll tell you, quite truthfully, we see more people dig their feet in on that stance in terms of it's my my right, my, you know, my right. Uh, you can't violate my social liberties or my civil liberties, rather, and make me get the vaccine. But, you know, in terms of, you know, other situations in life, you know, we don't let people drive drunk, right? You, you can't just go out and drink all you want. And, and, you know, drive around and not be, you know, possibly pursued by the police or injure someone else, you know, that's not an individual decision that you can make. Uh, we have Ohio has smoke-free law, right? So we don't let people smoke in public any longer uh, in terms of, you know, in enclosed spaces and even in some outdoor spaces, right? So it, it's about your responsibility that you have to other people within the community. And I think you touched on a very um, salient point earlier is that we are doing a tremendous disservice to people who are not able to get the vaccine for medical reasons, right? Those people look to us as a society to be responsible and do what we should be doing in terms of minding each other, being, you know, respectful of our brothers and our sisters in the community. And by not having all of us vaccinated and not reaching that level of herd immunity, there are several, you know, groups of people, uh, and, I, and I don't know statistically or from a data standpoint, but there are just groups of people out there who aren't able to re-engage in public freely because they don't feel safe coming out because there are so many people unvaccinated. So I think, you know, it's unfortunate that as society, we seem to have become far more selfish and less civic minded. And I think that lack of, of civic mindedness is a lot of what we see in people, um, you know, who, who stand on the civil liberties piece. But I, I certainly know that there are people who um, who have come to look at it as, you know, they're a little conflicted between what what do I have the right to do and what do I need to do? And those people who are more concerned about their health or the people who say, well, I want to be able to see, you know, my parents or I want to be able to mingle with my neighbors freely and not have this hanging over my head. 
those are the people, as you say, that have moved towards getting the vaccine, despite what their political affiliation or, or their thoughts are, you know, about about the uh, the liberty aspect of, of having to be forced to take the vaccine. And then on the other hand, we're seeing companies mandated. I know United Airlines has has mandated vaccines for their employees. And I saw online that 97% of their workforce acquiesced to becoming vaccinated, and they're now moving forward to address that remaining 3% who have not participated in giving them a final shot to do it, or they're going to be terminated. So, you know, people can look at that as being heavy-handed, but it's an effective way of getting people to do the right thing in terms of what we feel is right in public health. Well, this sort of marched down through the logic that doing the right thing uh, we we talk in terms of public health versus politics. You know, po- politics is a different animal than public health because public health should be based not on the the polls or the politicians, but uh, the the idea of public health should be based upon the science. And and one of the things about science that I think most of us should feel good about is that if there's a position that science is taking and public health is taking, it's uh based on conclusions that are based on evidence. So it's evidence-based conclusions that uh, are are not arguable. But yet one important thing you mentioned, and that's on both sides of the issue, and by the way, I think the issue is this. From a scientific standpoint, if everyone gets vaccinated, COVID goes away, period. I I think most scientists agree with that, other than the thought that... um, if we have situations where uh, the, the the vaccines are not effective towards certain variants, we'll have to deal with that. But for the most part, a public health scientific standpoint would would be something that would really drastically reduce what's going on. Is there anything that the County Board of Health can do to educate people or to help belay their fears? And what I was leading up to is that you mentioned something early that fear is something that exists on both sides of the argument. And we're saying there's an argument now. The argument is, do I or do I not get the vaccine? Uh, For those who get the vaccine, it's because they are fearful of what might happen to them if they don't have it. For the people who are resistant to taking the vaccine, they don't want to take it because they're fearful of what the vaccine might do to them. Is there some way that the county or the government in any way is doing more than they have been doing? Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, I think, Nick, we go back to the to the way that this all rolled out. Um, you know, the federal government was not entirely on board with uh, with prevention methods and, and really providing public education when, when the pandemic began. And I think that has a tremendous residual effect. Uh, I think what we go back to is, is what I mentioned earlier about the evidence-based approach and saying when we encounter people who are hesitant, we tell them two things. We say, look at the hundreds of millions of people who have been vaccinated and are safe, right? We're not, we're not saying that every vaccine that's ever been administered is 100% guaranteed to be safe for everyone who would take it. And so that we advise people if they have any concerns to consult with their physician. And again, as I mentioned before, it's not a guarantee that you won't get the illness, but that your symptoms will be, you know, drastically reduced. So we well, we're going to have to... We're going to have to ask you to look and look into this. We're out of time for this round, but we'll have to have you on next month, and hopefully things have improved much. But uh, Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Certainly, Nick. Thank you. 
Thank you, and we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to Ohio State Senator Matt Dolan. And uh, Matt is switching gears here from state of Ohio issues to federal issues with the U.S. Senate. Matt, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks, Nick. Uh, U.S. Senate, big change in uh, issues that we're going to be facing. Uh, the uh, moving from the state Senate over to the federal Senate is a big deal. What are some of the issues that really affect Ohioans directly that you can take over to uh, Washington for us? Well, thanks. Well, you know, it is a big deal, but it remains the same responsibility that I've had as state senator, and that is to go and fight with the best interest of Ohio. And uh, I'm in the race because I'm the only one that has conservative results that have dramatically affected Ohio. So under my leadership, when I've been in office, taxes have gone down 48 uh, percent. Abortions have gone down 58 percent. Regulations have gone down. And those are some of the agenda items that you bring to Washington because you get things done. Uh, we know the Biden administration in agenda is destroying America, destroying our education, destroying destroying our economy, destroying our standing in the world, and the sheer incompetence is causing 13 of our soldiers to be killed. So it's not enough anymore just to point the finger at the other side and say they're bad. We as Republicans have got to go and get results. We need to make sure that the, the Trump administration's uh, uh, southern border agenda it actually becomes law. When we were Republicans in control of Washington four years ago, we didn't do it. So it's it's going to take somebody with a relevant experience. I have both private sector experience and public sector experience to bring to Washington to solve the problem, to put us on a conservative path to make the United States economy strong, to make sure our standing in the world is restored, and we are the strongest country in the world militarily, economically, and more. Well, these issues are, are really boiling over right now. Uh, for example, uh, the the border situation uh, that we have all the Haitians down in Texas. We have the numbers that uh, are, are just massively increased uh, this year as far as the weekly and monthly uh, immigrants illegally crossing. Uh, how is that affecting Ohio? Well, it affects Ohio because we are part of the great country the United States, and we don't know who's coming into our country. And when you don't know who's coming into your country, you don't know uh, what, you know, drugs are coming. You don't know if they're bringing drugs. You don't know if they're bringing uh, evil uh, to, to, to do acts. So you need to vet your, the, the uh, people coming into the country, and you need to vet them with, with a policy that worked before, and that was uh, under Trump. The other way, we have some of our brothers and sisters down there on the front lines right now. Ohio sent uh, their Ohio Ohio Patrol and that and their our, our our National Guard and they're still there. The highway patrols come home, but some of Ohioans are actually on the border right now defending. So if we don't know who's coming into our country, it puts us at risk. But we have to understand this: there is a difference between immigrants and migrants. 
immigrants are someone who wants to come to America the proper way and and decide I want the I want to live the American dream. I don't need the government to help me. I'm going to raise my family. I'm going to get a, get a job, and I'm going to live that dream. And that's what we want. Migrants are coming here because they want they see the United States under Biden as an opportunity for a government to take care of them. They're coming from countries that have a socialist type system, and Biden is saying, "Hey, come here. We'll provide free education. We'll provide free health care." So they're not coming to live the American dream, and you know. So that's the difference. We've got to make sure that we're we're welcoming legal immigrants, and we are securing down our borders so we know who's coming into our country illegally. Well, that's going to be a big task. I know everyone, multiple administrations have been fighting with that, but in the U.S. Senate. So, Nick, if I could, uh, if I could address that. I get addressed. Sure. That. One of my motivations to leave the Ohio Senate, where I'm doing, uh, where I'm getting results, is because I looked at what happened when Republicans controlled everything. When Trump was in the White House, we had the Senate, we had the House. We could not pass immigration laws. Why? Because we were fighting with each other. And as a result, a program put in place by the Trump administration was working. But it was only in place because of an executive order, which means it lasts as long as that administration's in power. So on January 20th, 2021, President Biden got rid of that executive order and all the good work was done. My point is you got to send people to Washington who know how to get things done, aren't just going to go on the news shows and point out everyone's problems, are actually going to solve right. the problem. We had it in our hands and we let it slip through. Well, you know that issue will continue, and when you get to Washington, that will be uh, obviously something high on the the list of things to address. Uh, another thing high on the list is infrastructure. We've been watching infrastructure issues uh, developing here in this country for years, uh, especially the need to rebuild bridges and highways and, and other infrastructure type things. Uh, I know Senator Portman was working on the legacy bill concerning infrastructure, and it uh, targeted some money to come to Ohio. What was that about? So uh, your, your your question was essential, that infrastructure is an essential need, and it's a need for any state that wants to grow their economy. It is one of the five pillars of a successful growing economy. Senator Portman negotiated a very surgical, narrow-down infrastructure bill that would provide dollars to the states, of which Ohio would receive uh, over $10 billion, to invest in their infrastructure. The total package was $1 trillion, of which 550 was new money. This is not the 5.3 monstrosity that the Democrats want to get through. This was surgical money that is desperately needed in Ohio so we can grow our economy. I was the only one in the Senate race who said I would support that bill because I know in Cincinnati, in order to improve the flow of commerce, they need to fix their bridge. Because I know in Appalachia, in order to bring the 33 counties that are part of our great Appalachian state, part of the state, they need broadband. And every Republican in the state could see that. And we voted on the budget I produced, we voted for broadband. But somehow my Republican opponent 
can't stand in Appalachian and say broadband's important to you. So there's a difference between recognizing the need for Ohio, and when you invest a dollar of infrastructure, the studies show that you get a multiple return back. So that is a smart investment. To play politics with your with Ohio's economy is just flat out wrong, and they're not. That is not what we need from our next U.S. senator. I'm what we need. Well, you, of course, you know, with regard to infrastructure and, and getting these things moving, how how well does it look like we're going to be moving forward with getting that money here into Ohio and within the next year or so, getting these projects moving and underway? Well, fortunately, um, the state of Ohio, um, on, in the legislature, we passed infrastructure dollars so that uh, important projects can get done, and that is results in Peloton coming to Wood County. Uh, that results to uh, hope the Lordstown plant being reinvigorated. So there is strategic investment in Ohio. You know, Washington's broken. Uh, hopefully Senator Portman can convince uh, enough Republicans and Democrats to vote for the slimmed-down infrastructure bill so we can invest in Ohio. And this this other bill, the reconciliation bill, which is nothing more than a liberal wish list, that is so bad that even Democrats in Washington don't even want to support it. So that's, we, we'll defeat that, but we have to be smart in how we invest in Ohio because that's what the senator is supposed to do. Go to go there and fight for Ohio. You know, we, we have about a minute to go before I have to take a break here, but uh, real quick, you're, um, you're still in elected office. Uh, you have your finger on the pulse of the American voters and the American residents here, or the Ohio residents. Um, how is that going to help you with regard to taking that knowledge and that contact into Washington? Well, one, it, it, I understand the job. Uh, so I, I, am, I will be ready to go from day one, and nobody else in the trade can say that. Second is I know the issues that the federal, the relationship between the federal and state government, I know the issues that impact that and how we can be more efficient and effective. The two biggest areas, and I know we have a short period of time, but it's Medicaid and Medicare. And those are huge expenditures from the federal government level. Yet, if I get there, we're going to turn over some of the responsibilities back to the states because the states can run them more efficiently and effectively. And maybe on the other side, I can give you a direct example of what, what I can accomplish in the U.S. Senate to help drive down the spending in Washington. Well, well, let's do that. Let's take a short break. We're talking to Ohio State uh, Senator Matt Dolan, who's a candidate for the U.S. Senate. And we're going to come back talking about issues that he's going to take from Ohio over to Washington. We'll take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you for our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. And we have Matt Dolan with us talking about the transition in his life going from the Ohio Senate, hopefully to the U.S. Senate. Matt, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Nick, for having me. You know, just before the break, we were talking about changes you would make that will make a difference in Washington. And uh, I know you had some other thoughts. Uh, if you want to continue, what changes would those be? 
Yeah, so one of my big concerns for future generations of America is the national debt and deficit that we have run up over the years. Uh, and the only way we're going to address that is meaningful, a meaningful plan that is years in the making, but we need to be relentless in the pursuit uh, of carrying it out. Where we can start is an example of the Medicaid and Medicare system. When the federal government runs that program, the expenses of that program just go through the roof. When we get waivers, and when, since I've been in the budget, we've been able to get a number of waivers from the federal government, and that simply means that we are free from the restrictions of the federal government and can implement the necessary programs in a manner that suits Ohio, reflects Ohio, and at a, at a much lower cost. But when the federal government intercedes, like they're doing now under the Biden administration, they are now not allowing any waivers. The waiver, let's give you one example. We were able in Ohio to require any recipient of public benefits to demonstrate that they are actively and sincerely looking for work so that if they're enjoying the benefits of other people's money, they're at least trying to get off the dole and get to work. The Biden administration cut that out completely. What has happened in Ohio? Our Medicaid caseloads have gone up, which means more people are getting on uh, Medicaid, which means our work shortage, not our job shortage, our work shortage is exasperated by the Biden administration and by choices made out of Washington. We now have people who would rather sit home because they get extra money, they get extra benefits, and actually go to work. So if you can turn those programs over to the state, that's when you'll drive down your Medicaid costs, you'll drive down the number of people who are on Medicaid, and you get incentivized people back to work. You need somebody in Washington who understands that and can get it. Sure. Well, you know, one of the numbers that I heard uh, recently is that we have about uh, unemployment, 8 million. We have jobs available, about 10 million. Uh, how do we we change that uh, that statistic? Well, I just walked through one way, I, and I actually think we have less. Uh, I, mean, I think the gap between jobs available and, and people on unemployment is even worse than that. So I just walked through one. I mean, you don't have a system set up where it's incentivizing somebody to sure. stay home. The second is what what I've been able to accomplish in Ohio is to make sure that there is proper training for any child who wants to get into the workforce, no matter what route they want to take, whether they want to go a four-year degree, a two-year degree, uh, they want to get a welding license like my son, they want to go into skilled manufacturing, they want to go into healthcare, that the avenues for those, for those careers are available to young people at an early age. And I can tell you this, we have implemented programs in the state that allows for employers, individuals, and the high schools to have the ability to direct uh, to students or individuals to get the training they need to enter the workforce. And you can have a very successful career no matter what you choose because the jobs are there, they're paying well. It's just what what we require of you, show up for work, put in a good 40 hours a week, and uh, and you'll get paid, and you'll raise a you'll ra- have a good life. You can raise a family. And you'll be a productive member of society. Not hard. 
Well, you have to change that whole attitude to that and back to that, apparently. Uh, in Ohio, with regard to uh, the Ohio uh, budget, you helped author and pass uh, one of the more conservative budgets in Ohio, the Ohio legislature. How is uh, that going to transfer over to Washington, and will you be able to weigh in on this way? Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, the Ohio Republican Party just called the budget uh, I did the most conservative in Ohio history. What's significant about that is not only what we did. We cut taxes. We expanded school choice. We cut the bureaucracy uh, of government. We strategically invested in uh, Lake Erie. We strategically invested in mental health development, uh, 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 care. But it is what I was able to accomplish to get to the end result. And one of the things that's broken in Washington is the ability to set a goal and work to get it. My budget got passed with every Republican, the most conservative Republicans to however, however else you want to describe, voted for this budget, as well as about half the Democrats, which means you can get conservative principles done because they work, because when you take the time to explain them to, to Democrats, they see the end result that it's actually going to improve people's lives. But it takes effort. And if you're not willing to engage, then you're never going to get the result. I can go to Washington and engage, get a result that says conservative economic principles win the day and they'll make the United States economy roar. They'll be good for Ohio because we will make Ohio an attractive place to uh, invest in. So it just takes effort. And I'm the only one that can point to a record of achieving when you put the effort in, you can get it done. I, I understand that the Cleveland Plain Dealer has already come out with a endorsement of you. Isn't that sort of unprecedented? I, I can't speak for the Plain Dealer. They they wrote an editorial shortly after I joined, outlining my conservative effort to make an Ohio a great place to live. Um, you're going to have to ask them whether that was an endorsement or not. But it was a recognition. Oh, that of all those in the race, I'm the only one that can point to a record of conservative agenda, conservative results that has made Ohio better. With regard to COVID, any any comments about COVID and how we're, we're making a dent into this pandemic? Are, do you see an end in sight? Well, I, I don't. I think we're going to have to live with the uh, pandemic and I think it starts with individual responsibility, individual choice, and I would encourage everybody, if if their health allows it, to get and and their uh, they have no moral objections to get vaccinated. Where we don't want to go is the government weighing in with private business and telling private business what's in their best interest. Um, the more people who get vaccinated, the more this virus has no host and it's likely to die or be its impact will be de minimis. Um, so that's what I, I would encourage. I, I would I'd love to take the politics out of it and just people make the right individual choice. But at the same time, recognizing that businesses need to do what's in the best interest of their employees and to make sure that they can maintain jobs, government should not weigh in and tell, tell businesses what they can do. And just yeah, it's just sort of unfortunate we're at, when else at that point. Uh, because I haven't heard the argument much where people can say that they have the right to take the vaccine or not, 
but they're going to choose to take it. They still have all their rights, and they're still getting the vaccine, which will ultimately work to uh, tamp down this pandemic, I would think. And that's where I'm at. I, I would hope that, that you, you do the research necessary and you just, and you, you get the vaccine, and that will ultimately end this virus and the, and the pandemic. For, for our last minute here, uh, with Ohio, the state of Ohio, how are we doing and what's the next uh, six months look like here in Ohio? Are we in good shape? Yep. So, um, Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, there, yes, so Ohio is in good shape. Our revenue, despite the fact that employers need employees everywhere, uh, our revenues are, are about where we projected it to be. And that also that is including the largest income tax cut uh, uh, in, in a two-year span, the largest capital gains tax cut uh, ever in Ohio. So you cut taxes and revenues improve. Where we are hurting is what I talked about earlier in the show, is that our Medicaid numbers are going up, and that is the number of people, Ohioans, who are receiving public benefits for their health care and others because the Biden uh, agenda has stripped our ability to make sure people are trying to get back to work to receive benefits. And when that when when he stripped that, that's when we saw an increase. So our revenues are good, our expenses are creeping up, and if you can point to that as the reason. Well, I'd like to thank Matt Dolan for joining us tonight and giving us some insight as to what uh, the differences between Ohio and the federal government and the issues that are going to be facing him or any senator getting into Washington. Matt, thank you for joining us, and good luck with your campaign. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, healthy, and safe week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.